What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. This is the pod that's all about mind-body continuum practices. So we're just surfing consciousness however we can. We're your hosts. I'm Tasha Schumann. This is Jeff Warren. Hello. Good to be here. And we're stoked to have you along for the ride today. Jeff, give us a little rundown of who we got. So we have a master in the house this particular podcast. We have Sharon Salzberg on, who anyone knows anything about meditation will have heard her name. She is a luminary in the world of meditation, you know, mm. really one of the people that brought meditation to the West. I mean, famously, along with Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield, meditation was here already in different ways, but she kind of helped popularize it back in the 70s. And that's who we get to hang out with here. Um, she founded the Insight Meditation Society. She's written, you know, half a dozen kind of seminal books, which really helped shape my understanding of practice. It's like kind of going to the headwaters of loving kindness. That's her famous practice that she teaches, and that's what she guides us in today. You know, this practice can very easily become kind of uh, a bypassing or, you know, sugar-coated kind of practice. But I loved how grounded and how earthy it was and how she really, you know, brought us through the understanding that this is uh, an antidote to fear, to the fear in our lives. I think we can't say that point enough. Like, this is about what it means to genuinely live without fear in the world. And it's it's mind blowing to think about that and that that this practice is this is what it addresses, like like really changing that at the root. Mm. So without further ado, here's Sharon Salzberg. Welcome to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. We are really honored to have you here. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to get into practice. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you want to lead us through today and maybe some background behind it? Sure. I thought I would do uh, a loving kindness meditation. That's what I often do. And I first heard of loving kindness as a meditation method uh, when I first started meditating, which was January 1971 in Bodh Gaya, I love that India. you know this exact month. I'll tell you the exact day. <laughs> Actually, January 7th, <laughs> 1971 is when I first began an intensive 10-day meditation retreat. Wow. And the teacher was S.N. Goenka, who's a Burmese Buddhist who had just come to India. And he taught loving kindness as almost a kind of ceremonial way of saying goodbye, a little exercise at the end. And it was only quite some years later, 1985, that I got to go to Burma and do an intensive three-month retreat in a very systematic way to explore this particular method of meditation. And I found it really transforming. And so it, it's something I actually love to teach. So the practice is done, often it's done by the silent repetition of certain phrases. And the phrases are a different way of paying attention. That's what they function as. So if, for example, when you usually think about yourself at the end of the day, if you only pretty well remember the mistakes you made and the things you did wrong <laughs> and what you could have said better, this is making a shift. I call it a stretch to wish ourselves well. And the feeling tone is gift-giving, it's offering, it's blessing. May you be happy. May I be happy. And so through the silent repetition of these phrases, we are making this offering of beneficence, of um, wishing well, of connection to ourselves and to a variety of different beings, culminating in all beings everywhere. I say being because there'll be a puppy, for example. It doesn't have to be a human a person. Um, and the practice is done by gathering all of our attention behind one phrase at a time, and then the next, 
And then what I consider to be the magic note of every kind of practice is recognizing our minds will wander, will dwell in the past, will dwell in the future, and judgment, speculation all over the place. And then comes the moment we recognize that, like, whoo, I've been gone, you know? That is the moment we have the chance to be really different, where instead of judging ourselves or blaming ourselves, we can practice letting go and coming back to whatever our original object was. So in loving kindness, we repeat these phrases. And over time, people, of course, make up their own phrases. They need to be big enough or general enough so that mostly we can use the same phrases, no matter who we're making the offering to. Not always, but you sort of don't want to be sitting there thinking, what about you? you know, like, <laughs> uh, Because then we lose all, all concentration. So um, common phrases, the ones I'll suggest for our sitting, are uh, beginning with oneself. May I be safe or may I feel safe? Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. Live with ease means in the things of day-to-day life, like livelihood or family, may it not be such a struggle. May I live with ease. May I be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. And it's not, again, you know, about wishful thinking or insistence or denying, you know, some very difficult states, but it's that gift, it's that offering that we're moving into that space. And you don't have to struggle at all to try to create a feeling or manufacture anything. Just gather your attention behind one phrase at a time. Your mind will wander. That's almost a guarantee. That's okay. See if you can let go and come back. Okay, so let's practice together. Okay. can sit comfortably, close your eyes or not. Of course, depending on where you're listening to this, uh, it may not be that smart to close your eyes, but you can figure that out. (laughs) See if your energy can just kind of settle into your body. We begin with making this offering to ourselves. You can repeat. If you're using these phrases, may I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. You can repeat them, whatever phrases you're using with enough space and enough silence so that it's a rhythm that's pleasing to you. I have a friend who said he thought he'd get extra credit for saying more phrases. So you say them really fast, try to get a lot of, you don't need to do that. May I be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. All kinds of thoughts and feelings might come up. It's all right. I don't deserve that or full of resentment or whatever it might be. See if you could just wash through you as you steady your attention on the repetition of the phrases.
Let's see if you can think of a benefactor. A benefactor is someone who's helped you. Maybe they've helped you directly. They've helped pick you up when you've fallen down. Or maybe you've never met them. They've inspired you from afar. Buddhist texts say this is the one who, when you think of them, you smile. It just lifts you when you think of them, like an embodiment of love. Could be an adult, could be a child, could be a pet. In fact, I often use a puppy these days because in these pandemic times, this friend of mine adopted a puppy and they're much happier. The puppy's like a benefactor in my mind. So see if someone comes to mind that has you smile. And if so, you can bring them here. You can get an image of them or say their name to yourself. Get a feeling for their presence and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. Even if the words aren't perfect, they're carrying the heart's energy, so they're serving us. May you be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. And then a friend. Let's start with a friend who's doing pretty well right now. They may not be perfectly happy, but at least in some arena of life, they're enjoying success or good fortune. So if someone like that comes to mind, bring them here. You can get an image of them, say their name to yourself, get a feeling for their presence, and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. May you be safe. Be happy, be healthy, live with ease, or whatever phrases you may be using. And then a friend who's not doing so well right now, who's struggling in some way, bring them here. And offer the phrases of loving kindness to them.
Now let's have a gathering, whoever comes to mind. Friends, family, colleagues, puppies. And we'll offer loving kindness to the collective, to the group. May you be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. Then all beings everywhere, all people, all creatures, all those in existence, near and far, known and unknown, may all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. When you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze and we'll end the meditation. Hmm. I just want to say how, like, what a simple but really profound joy it is to do loving kindness meditation with, like, the guru of loving kindness. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. It's well, so simple, you. but it's just really profound. Um, and I had questions and mm -hmm. reports. Good, good, me too. Uh, do you want to start, Tasha? No, go for it. You sound primed. Yeah, okay. So um, maybe I'll just give a little report uh, that it contains a few pieces that we can unpack, and I'm sure it'll overlap in some ways with Tasha's. And um, So at first... As always with these loving kindness practices, there's a sort of roteness where I'm saying the words, but I'm not really connected to them. It's like they're just words. Um, my mind's flitting this way and that. And and 
uh, and so if there's this initial kind of needing to let go almost to kind of let them be seeds or something that you're putting out there and it's okay if you're not connected to them yet, uh, or mm-hmm. that's kind of what I do. It's like, I'm just putting them out there anyway. Like, and I, and the, the gift framework is enormously helpful actually. Um, so I'm doing that and, and, um, and as I, particularly as I get into the, my benefactor in this case is my little toddler son who I could hear running around upstairs, <laughs> you know, that I'm feeling them more, I suppose, even though I know feeling them isn't the, isn't necessary per, per se, but again, the words are just words. And there's a sort of moment where I'm like, well, do I need to connect to the feeling of safety as different from ease, as different from happiness? And and then, and what am I going to use to support this? So I'll, I start to actually visualize him and I visualize giving him a hug. And I did the same with my friend who's um, having a uh, who's not having a hard time and, and visualizing the hugging made it more real. Whereas if I just was in the words, it wasn't as real. Um, and then I, I got to the challenging person and as always happens with the challenging person, there is this compassion, but in this case, this person, their partner has just been diagnosed with MS. They have a little four-year-old girl. They're very you know, it's progressive MS, it looks like it's happening very rapidly. The whole their whole world is, you know, falling apart in a way or changing. And it's very hard to unhook the wishing well from the wanting to fix or from the realism that says this is just gonna, this is going to be a thing in their life for a long time. This is, uh, you know, how is it somehow phony of me to wish them you know, to kind of want them well when it's that kind of goes against the stream of the realism of what's happening which is it's going to be hard for a bit i, I know you get this question that's why i'm and i know this will be something other people have uh felt or in our audience so anyway then it kind of got into the whole group and it was great and that's my report <laughs> i may say other things that i don't want to talk too much because there's a few questions in there um and i'll let uh, tasha go should we talk about yours before i report mine there's some overlap with mine. Okay, whatever you like. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can you can address some of what Jeff reported. I mean, functionally, almost technically, I think any meditation practice is resting on not only the ability to let go and begin again, which I think is phenomenally important, but it's resting on the kind of multiplicity of qualities we're developing in the process of doing the meditation some of which are really about calm and peace and letting go and relaxing, and some of which are about energy and alertness and connection and investigation, you know, like real aliveness. And we're developing both sides of those qualities and at least from time to time bringing them together in a state of balance. And so in loving kindness, when things are really rote, you know, and kind of almost deadened. We need to do something to help make it more alive. We have to make it pop. So those images, you know, imagine yourself hugging somebody, or maybe it's, if you're good at visualization, it might be getting even more acute with the sense of the recipient. It could be active imagination, like what would it look like if you were happy, (laughs) you know? Uh, You know, because it will make it come alive, and that's very important. Partly it's self-knowledge, it's knowing your own mind, it's, it's seeing your tendencies. I know that I can't do that too much 
without really losing the concentration because my mind will just go off. And not only will I think, you know, for a few moments, like, what would it look like if you were happy? But I'll be redecorating your new apartment because <laughs> I'll decide that's what you need. So when you talk about concentration, do you mean just the repetition of the phrases or concentrating on the feeling it's generating or concentrating on the intention to say the phrase? Like, what are you concentrating on? They say that in any moment, it's one of three things that are predominant. One is the phrase. One is the feeling it's generating. And one is the sense of the recipient, which may be visual or it may be almost like you feel them, like they're right here. In terms of the feeling, the emotional connection, uh, the sense of connection, warmth, that's not always there. And my really genuine experience has been that I've despaired at those moments, more than moments, when I felt nothing happening, something was actually happening. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I could look back and say, oh, look at that, you know, I thought, that was a waste of time, but, or worse, you know, where's my heart? I have no heart. Um, something was actually happening and it may not be emotional. Sometimes it's a shift in worldview, a sense of inclusion, a sense of caring to listen, you know, meeting someone differently, realizing I'm not holding that old impression of them so tightly. I'm at least open to being surprised. Or I watch myself chastising myself again and also laugh or something mm -hmm. like that. And then the sense of the recipient, we definitely need to sharpen when we're in a fog or it feels like it's just all spaced out. And sometimes we want to do it anyway because it, it picks up the energy and makes it more alive. But that's not always there either. So the, the phrases are like the bottom line. We can always be repeating the phrases. And so that's what I tend to emphasize. But really, you can concentrate on any of the three. Yeah, I had a lot of overlaps, actually, with Jeff's, but actually the benefactor, choosing a benefactor, it was this moment for me because, you know, I come from the Tibetan tradition, and usually the immediate benefactor you choose is your teacher. You mm -hmm. know, we're always like, my teacher's been generous to me and is my gateway to kind of enlightenment and stuff. And it's really easy for me to do that because, you know, my teachers are incredible and wonderful. And I thought, okay, wait, I've wished them so much love and kindness. Let's see if I can pick another benefactor just for today. And because you'd mentioned the puppy, I went with my cat and it was, you know, I, I love my cat and we're like inseparable and she's celebrating our quinceanera this year. So <laughs> I was like, you know, let me give her this love. And in saying these sentences, you know, to her in my mind, something really special happened, which is that I realized how much age agency she has you know which is weird because we think of our pets as like i take care of you i'm the reason you're alive i fill your bowl every day what would you do without me you know and just like saying to this being who is really reliant on me may you be happy may you be safe you know you just realize that even though yes i'm the one filling your bowl and like giving you shelter there is still you have this rich life that's like so I don't know. She's what, what is she doing right now? I have no idea. She's out there like eating bugs or something like that, you know. And so it, she just took on this whole other quality that was just so it was beautiful to just kind of sit there and just really feel like she was a benefactor with her own agency. So that was really cool for me. And then in moving to the friends, um, I had kind of the same experience that Jeff did where you're like, well, what should I do to help this person actually? But actually in saying that I'm a doer, I'm like the kind of person I, I want to fix things. So I'm naturally always like, here's the 11 ways I'm helping you today. But in saying these phrases, it kind of released me from that. You know, I think 
a part of wanting to fix things for people is kind of like an egotistical thing where it's like, this is what I can do for you, you know, mm -hmm. and just being able to kind of relax into that and saying, may you be happy was this acknowledgement of like, you know, the limitations of what I can do, but the openness of my heart and the hope that you were surrounded by other other avenues for help as well and stuff. So it was actually just this melting of this type A kind of let me fix everything, you know, and um, <laughs> so there was like joy in it for me in just to be able to support someone from my heart without immediate action. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I, I meant to say, you know, also with Jeff and your friend who has the new diagnosis, I think it's really interesting for any one of us to look at what's going on in our minds and hearts when we do pull away. And we mm -hmm. don't want to be there anymore, you know, just in presence. And, and I think it's really, generally speaking, it's much more around the frustration of not being able to be in control and fix it. Yeah, yeah. Than anything else. And so I, I agree, you know, my experience also, Tasha, has been that it's when I know not what to do, you know, I do this. Yeah. And it keeps me connected and present and open to see what emerges out of out of that sense of being there. It just reminded me actually kind of like being on the other side of that. Like when I when I need help as a person and so many times, you know, a friend has come and tried to help and it's almost like there's a timeline on how, you know, they got to fix it. And so, if you know, if, if they give me advice and then it's still not better, suddenly they're frustrated and now I'm dealing with my own problem and their frustration. Exactly. That's right. I wrote in one of my books about the time after Ramdas had a massive stroke and mm -hmm. he was still living in California. Then I went to visit him and his living room was piled high with things people had sent him, these herbs and nostrums and drops and things like that. And, and it was really beautiful. It was beautiful evidence of how much, you know, he meant to people and how much they cared. But every once in a while there was a note attached that would have a lot of the flavor, you know, what you're just describing. And uh, like, you know, take 15 drops of this and you will definitely be walking again in <laughs> two weeks. And and I could feel that for him, it, the internal message was, what if I fail you? You know, like, what if I'm not walking in two weeks? Are you still there? Do you still love me? Have I disappointed you? And when I was there the day I was there, actually, one of those messages arrived. It came with this bottle of Ganges water, water from the Ganges River. And it said, take 15 drops of this and you'll definitely be walking again. And I said, don't drink that. <laughs> you know, like if you drink that, you'll get cholera. Don't drink that, whatever you Probably do. Probably the best advice. That's <laughs> funny. Well, this brings up, a, I guess, very related to this. Um, when we're talking about this person in a challenging situation, it, um, there, I feel like there is a responsibility to be honest about the realism of the situation. And about like this clear seeing of the genuine seriousness of this and the challenge it's causing. And sometimes in my imagination of my wrong thinking, imagination of loving kindness, I'm doing this sort of Disney, may everything be well over top of that. And that seems to be almost an offense to the to the truth. And this is something I hear a lot in activist spaces. You know, we're talking about um, the incredible inequities and the environmental challenges mm -hmm. and the all the things out in the world. And so I wonder if you could speak a little to that or how you negotiate that or think of that. Uh, I know I'm creating a bit of a false 
contrast uh, there. Uh, and so I'm curious to hear <laughs> how you disentangle that, because I'm sure it's a question that you get a lot <laughs> or an observation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it comes at lots of different times, you know, in, in that situation, certainly you're may all beings be happy? Like, really? You know, that'll never happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, they're predators and prey. And if the predator's happy, the prey is dead. If the prey is happy, the predator's hungry. Um, mm. That's and, a pretty and, stark way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, like that. It's true. Well, yeah, well, all beings, right? All creatures, mm -hmm. all, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's the universe. And I mean, there, there are different levels to it. One is words are complicated, of course, you know, and they mean different things like may you be healthy on the surface means may your diagnosis be refuted and may you get up and dance, you know, <laughs> out of your wheelchair around us. But that's not necessarily what it means. And certainly over time, you know, it's mm -hmm. a very different sense of what is health, what is healing. It might almost mean at some point, may you love yourself anyway, despite the world's pronouncement of your now deficiency or, or mm -hmm. disability, you know, may, may that love shine forth and talking about activism, you know, that's, that's what I've seen in, in, uh, people who kind of rise up, you know, like saying I'm worth more than this. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I think even using those same old words, they could have that kind of, of meaning, but it's also possible that we change the words because it's too labored. It's too much of a strain to, try to use those words. Like I, I've, you know, known people, maybe even as a, a prelude to that, I'll say, you know, loving kindness is not coercive. You know, you don't have to do it if it feels, you know, just wrong or you're violating something that, that is more important. But um, I found it a very uh, profound experiment, you know, to see what would happen in the actual doing of it. You know, so I've had people say to me, well, they want to offer loving kindness to their formerly abusive mother, you know, as one example. And, and the only phrase they felt they could say uh, with any sincerity was, may you be free of hatred. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. You know, that's totally fine. Even just to say that piece of, you know, may you be free of hatred, that is another way of saying, may you be healthy. <laughs> you know, may yeah, you that's be right. Happy. That's right. That's so right. It, but it's the way of saying it that's so much more real and immediate for that person. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of this practice is just being able to sit in that uncomfortability that Jeff is talking about, you know, wishing somebody well who you know is on the surface and at a deep level not feeling well, and then sitting with that kind of liminal space between not knowing what to do, not doing anything, and just kind of feeling that. Yeah, I mean, I think that aspect of the practice, certainly, you know, there's so many aspects. I mean, not a few people would say the most difficult person to offer loving kindness to is themselves. Mm -hmm. Definitely um, went through that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, or even the benefactor who you think you're just like dancing with delight, you know, it's like, it can be hard, you know, maybe you haven't really thought of them in a long time. Maybe you feel you've been remiss. Maybe, maybe there was that one time and you have to reconcile, you know, their imperfection with the mm -hmm. role they largely played mm -hmm. in your life. And, you're not really trying to think all this through. It's just the kind of stuff that arises. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, you said something really sort of tantalizing there, and I feel like I have this opportunity to ask the master. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because you, you you spoke a little bit about sort of the trickle down effect of a practice that even if we don't notice the effect in a moment, something's changing, something's kind of getting down into the depths and shifting. And, and then you kind of spoke to this idea that it's leading towards healing, mm-hmm. health and healing. And I guess this is a very basic question, but what is that for you? What is health and healing? And where can we go? Where do these practices take us? Is it all to different places or is it to one space? And I'm just curious how you think about that. Um, I think that different practices are designed differently. And so I think they do tend to emphasize different things. So loving kindness, they say the Buddha taught loving kindness is the antidote to fear. Mm. And that was certainly my experience. They also say that the part of the psyche that is most impacted by the practice of loving kindness is the field of intention out of which we act, you know? Mm, And so if we largely have been saying things or doing things or holding back from saying or doing things because of fear, and you deepen loving kindness one way or another, it doesn't have to be meditation, but if, if that quality deepens, you will find that you're acting from a place of connection, that mm. that's what's motivating you to reach out or hold back or whatever. But that heart space, the, the motivation or the intention becomes one of a sense of connection rather than fear. Mm. And coming from a good motive, a caring, loving, compassionate motive, does not mean we have to act in a certain way because the decision about what's skillful or unskillful is very contextual. It's that moment. Should I say yes? Should I say no? And people often think they're the same thing. Like if you have a loving motive, you can only say yes. You can only give them the car again. Mm. You can only let them move back in. You can only kind of lie down and take it, you know? Yeah, I'm so But really it doesn't mean that. Yeah, you can have a very compassionate motive, genuinely so. But your discernment, your understanding, your read of the room, you know, your your best guess, I usually call it, of how to act is not limited. Mm. And, and so people get very squeamish about the idea of loving kindness. You know, like, I can only say yes, I'll be sweet, I'll be meek. But really, we know there's such a thing as tough love. We know there's such a thing as fierce compassion. And so the motive is what transforms. And we're not bound to you know, a, a kind of weird persona. So you, uh, you know, said at the very beginning how transformative this practice has been for you personally. And I'm, I'm, I'm imagining my way into a place where we are connected on that, in that really loving way to very loving intentions where we're living, we're operating from that place, not from a place of fear, but from a place of genuine you know, care, everything changes if that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can just yeah, feel. Yeah. So yeah. how might you describe how the, what that transformation has been like for you and what, and, what a, and what someone doing this practice might expect for themselves and what the trajectory is? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I always come back to this understanding that the Buddha taught loving kindness is the antidote to fear because it's mm-hmm. also a time where, uh, you know, there's so much animosity and there's so much hostility and there's so much hostility coming toward oneself often, you know, and people say, why in the world would I want to do loving kindness for somebody who despises me or, you know, is behaving in that terrible way? And 
And I just say, let's think about it as the antidote to fear, not as like Mm -hmm. acquiescence or wishing somebody be triumphant in their terrible behavior or, you know, uh, let's think of it as the antidote to fear. And certainly for me, that was the transition. Um, My first practice, because I only did loving kindness right at the end of that retreat, was really a mindfulness practice and, uh, and for many years. And I describe myself, um, I was 18 when I went to India. I'd had a, you know, extremely traumatic childhood. And when I describe my early practice, one of the things I say is one of the realizations I had was that one of the reasons it was very difficult for me to be with the breath, which was the first instruction that I, I had, was because almost as soon as this breath was beginning, I'd be mentally leaning forward to get ready for the next 50. No, oh, yeah. I was really mm-hmm. hypervigilant. I was terribly frightened. I was very wary. I didn't know what might happen next. A lot had already happened to me in my life, and I felt I had to be ready for everything. And so for me in those days, just in the context of that method, balance looked like settle back. Let the breath come to you. I used to say to myself, you're breathing anyway. All you need to do is feel it, you know, mm-hmm. because I had so much performance anxiety. It's like I'd never done it before. And so I found that loving kindness as a method of meditation kind of took that same lesson, like settle back, let the breath come to you into life in in a much more kind of generalized way, encounters, conversations. Um, When I first started teaching, which was 1974, I was completely phobic about public speaking. I could not give a talk. I was terrified. And the first retreat we were invited to teach in this country, it was Joseph Goldstein and I, and it was a month-long retreat. And the format of our retreats is that people practice all day and there's teacher contact and there's questions and answers and there's one lecture every night. That's the formal talk. So it was a 30-day retreat. I could not do a single talk. <laughs> Joseph had to do them all. And wow. people were going up and yelling at him saying, why won't you let her have a voice? Why won't you let her speak? And, and he'd say, I'd love having a night off. Tell her. You know, I could not do it. I was terrified. Um, and what I was really afraid of was that I'd be speaking and my mind would go blank and I'd just be sitting there in front of everybody and look really foolish. And then one day, you know, so this is before, long before I went to Burma, I had the thought, you know, there was that practice, loving kindness. There was a guided meditation you could do. So maybe I could give that one talk. And if my mind goes blank, I can launch into the guided meditation. And no one will know that I just did this big (laughs) blooper. So I have piles and piles and piles of cassette tapes of me giving one talk. Because that was the only thing I could talk about. And then one day I thought, you know what? They're all kind of loving kindness talks because they're just about connecting to people. No one's here because, you know, they want to hear me impart my expertise in something. We just want to connect and be able to practice together. And that was the day I could begin to talk publicly. Wow. Do you have any fear left now? Like about anything? Like in there? Like underneath any... Anything? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of any unconscious ways of relating to the world fearfully. I don't mean like you're fearful when a dog runs up to you or you're about to get hit by a bus. Um, Sure. I mean, it's so different though. You know, like I thought you were going to ask if I had any fear of public speaking. And I said, well, I didn't like when I had to be on a panel with the Dalai Lama, for example. I mean, I liked it, but it was was kind of scary. Stakes are high. Yeah. Yeah. Stakes are high. There are times that stakes are high. And I get afraid, for sure. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would never want to say that something did not come up in my mind anymore, you know, but yeah. the relative spaciousness with which I can hold things compared to taking them so deep into my heart and saying, this is who I am, this is all I'll ever be. I mean, that's not the same at all. Can loving kindness help generate that spaciousness all on its own, or do you need to have mindfulness practices and other practices accompanying it? You know, it's a little hard for me to say because I had like 14 years of mindfulness practice basically <laughs> before I, you know, before I did loving kindness. I think it does generate it, but in a different way. In that they say those four qualities that are taught together, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, which is joy in the happiness of others. That's why I put in the friend who's doing well right now. Um, and equanimity the term in Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text, is the four Brahma Viharas, which uh, the word Vihara means dwelling or abiding or home. And so Brahma means like supreme or best. And those four qualities are said to form our best home. And I think that's what happens. You start to feel mm -hmm. at home when you're uh, having that sense of care and connection. And you start to feel weird, you know? Like something is something's off when I'm berating myself for the 15th hour, when I'm holding rigidly to the idea of somebody else instead of listening. It, it just starts to feel off. And so we come back to a sense of wanting to be at home. But mindfulness is a tremendous tool that way, you know, in, yeah. in seeing, first of all, even knowing what we're feeling. Like before we've sent the email, you know, to be kind of on top of what's really cooking. There's mindfulness built into this practice anyway, like as we're doing it, you know, so it's, we're kind of flexing that muscle at the same time. Yeah. Sharon, amazing. It's so great to chat with you. It's such a pleasure. Um, you know. Now I'm going to spend the rest of the day thinking, what am I afraid of these days? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, well, I just okay. totally made Sharon Salzburg neurotic. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> She's not going to be able to write this next book. 50 yeah. years book, of practice down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> so um, any last words of encouragement for anyone who wants to keep exploring this loving kindness practice or any bits of advice or what you'd suggest, what that might look like? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I, again, you know, I think it's a tremendous experiment and thinking of it as an experiment and not a compulsion. And with any kind of practice, I usually suggest people do what's reasonable, you know, in terms of a commitment. Like, is it 10 minutes a day? Is it 15 minutes a day for two weeks or, or whatever? But give it a shot and then assess it, you know, at the end of that period. And when you are assessing it, look at your life because that'll be where, if anything has happened, that's what will be displayed. And that's where it needs to happen. Beautifully said. Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was such a joy to have you on. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I wish we could continue. We'll have to continue someday. Well, oh, we will. We'll do, it. Yes. we'll do a second <laughs> we'll one on. We'll get you. Now, then we'll do a really hard one. Fear. Fear. Yeah, let's do one on fear. fear. One hour of solid fear. We, 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 you know, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it in like a pen filled with slathering dogs while we're... <laughs> Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. a great day. Thanks, you too. Thanks for tuning in to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this episode, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next week for a whole new adventure. 